You're listening to Root Lock Radio. Hello and welcome to Root Lock Radio, a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. My name is Weston, I live in New York City, and I am your host. In today's episode, we'll conclude our in-depth exploration of the cards of the Major Arcana by looking at what we'll call the final leg of the Fool's journey. And we'll see how the Fool has one final struggle, and this is a struggle with himself as he works to fully integrate the lessons he's learned over the course of his journey and reaches enlightenment as he goes through the experiences of dying and death. After that, we'll try to make sense of the Fool's journey and look at the ways that archetypes play into the story and how we can use those archetypes to help us make sense of the world around us. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this fifth episode of Rootlock Radio. In our exploration of the cards of the Major Arcana, we've established three distinctive legs of the Fool's journey. The first is conception through adolescence, represented from the cards Magician through the Chariot. And we see a theme of development in which the Fool is struggling with society to establish an individual identity. The leg of this journey ends with the achievement represented in the chariot card, which is a societally accepted and supported individuality. So what happens is the battle between the fool and society is integrated rather than one by one side. In the second leg, which represents adulthood, we see a theme of refinement. And this is where the fool is battling over forces in the universe for control over his light. And this leg ends with the temperance card, in which we see a emotional stability that stems from a deep acceptance of the fact that you can't control the forces of these. So again, neither of the sides really win, and instead we have an integration of the two sides of the battle. In the final leg, which we'll explore today, the leg of the journey that we're looking at is the end of life. And the theme here is of understanding. And the battle that the fool is having in this final leg of the journey is with himself as he struggles to integrate fully the lessons that he's learned of the course of his journey, and is put to some of the strongest and hardest tests yet. And this leg of the journey culminates with the world card, which represents enlightenment and a holistic integration of the various lessons that the fool has learned. So that said, let's start looking at these cards in depth. Now recall that we're leaving at a place of deep emotional stability, represented by the Temperance card. That's where we last left the Fool on his journey. He has accepted that he can't control things outside of himself, and that the universe ultimately will support him. The next card is the Devil, and when we look at this card, we see an echo of the Lover's card, but sort of a perversion of the imagery. We have the figure of the Devil instead of the figure of the Angel, and we see fiery imagery. 
He's pointing one hand up towards the sky and holding a flaming torch down towards the ground, which reminds us of the magician's posture. And he also has a pentagram, which represents magic that is used for evil purposes, floating above his horned head. And we also see the lovers from the lover's card, but rather than being free and natural, instead they're enchained and they have horns on their heads. But when you look at the chains, they're not particularly tight it looks like they could probably just slip them over their heads if they chose to. So they're actually in a chosen state of enchainment. And so this card speaks of addictions of all kinds, whether sexual or materialistic or substance abuse, or even just routines. Anything that kind of prevents yourself from having spiritual growth, any sort of thing that enchains you so that you are stuck. And in the course of the Fool's Journey, I consider this the beginning of a three-card sequence that I call the Divorce Sequence. And this is where the Fool realizes that he is stuck. And I think that marriage is a perfect way to think about this, because what we see on the card is an echo of the romantic lover's card. So what happens often is that people stay in something like a marriage long after it fulfills them spiritually just because it's the routine and it seems kind of unfathomable to break out of something that's such a foundation of your earthly existence. But at this point, the fool has learned lessons that when things change and when he takes a leap of faith, that the universe will ultimately support him. And so I see the devil card as sort of being this turning point of recognizing the chains and recognizing the stuckness of being in a situation that is no longer feeding his spirit and having the strength and the trust in the universe to get out of it. So the devil card is this important turning point that draws on the strength that we see in the strength card and the emotional stability and trust that we see in the temperance card. When the devil card comes up in a tarot reading, you want to think about things like addiction or materialism or any sort of unhealthy pattern, anything that sort of enchains you and is not good for your spiritual growth. The next card, card number 16, is the Tower. And this is one of the most intense cards in the tarot deck. And I consider this card to be probably actually the scariest card, more so than the Hanged Man or the Death card or the Devil card. Now when you look at the Tower card, you can kind of see why that is. We see an image of a tower being struck down by the forces of the universe. So archetypally, a tower is something that is built over time. It's sort of a fortress. Um, but it can also symbolize stuckness or isolation when we think about Rapunzel, right? She's stuck up in her tower. She's isolated from the rest of the world. And a lot of times marriages can become a sort of tower that isolates you from the rest of the world. And that has been built over so much time that it's so structured and so rigid. And that's where the tower comes into this divorce sequence. We see a lot of air energy, but it's being destroyed by fire energy, right? The stone tower is being struck down by fire. So we have a spiritual rupturing of sort of what we think is right. The, the passion comes through and destroys what our knowledge or our mind or our logic tells us 
is what we're supposed to be doing. And then we see these two figures in a free fall, right? Falling out of the windows of the tower. And they don't know where they're going to land or even if they're going to survive. So the tower represents a total collapse of systems that we've come to rely on. And a really apt situation to think of in relation to this is, of course, 9-11, where we saw towers fall. And the whole world changed because of it. It rearranged reality. Because when those towers fell, all of the systems that we had come to rely on as a society were called into question and rearranged. So in the course of the journey, I consider this the moment of divorce. And this is sort of where the rug is pulled out from under you, but it's much bigger than a rug, right? It's your entire life structure, and you're thrown into this free fall where you don't know where you'll land or even if you'll really survive. So when you lose your life partner and your home life and you have to start over completely, all of these structures that you've come to rely on collapse. And that's what the moment of the tower card is. If you pull the tower card in a reading, it speaks to this sort of collapse or massive restructuring and the universe forcing you out of a situation. Now this can seem really traumatizing, right? But you want to look at the big picture when you pull a card like the tower and look at the sequence in the major arcana in which it fits, right? So before the tower we have the devil. So the thing that we're stuck in is actually not serving us spiritually. It's not helping us grow. So it needs to end, even if it is something that we have become so used to and reliant on. And then when we look at the card after the tower, we have one of the most beautiful and peaceful and serene cards in the entire tarot deck, which is the star. So if you ever pull the tower in a tarot reading for yourself or someone else, it's important to emphasize that what is ending, what is collapsing, needs to collapse, and that what comes after will be peaceful and serene and beautiful, and the payoff will be worth it. And that brings us to this beautiful card, the star, which is number 17. On the card, the star, we see an echo of the temperance card. It's also a maturation of the temperance card. So we see a nude woman, um, and so we have this nakedness, which represents the layers between you and the world and the universe being stripped away. When you are able to be nude, uh, especially in a natural environment like she is, you, you suddenly feel and understand how you are actually a part of nature, a part of the universe as a whole, rather than something separate from it, which is often how we think about ourselves. So that's where the nakedness comes into play in the star card. And we also see water and earth imagery, which we'll remember from the temperance card has a lot to do with emotional stability. But there's even more of a trust in that there's this nudity and the emotions are free flowing. They're not so contained right? She's not containing the water and pouring it between two cups. She's pouring it out into the water and onto the earth. So the emotions no longer need to be contained in order to be stable. In fact, the free-flowingness of the emotional energy is part of the stability in this card. And then we also see these stars shining above, which speaks not just to a connection with the earth, but a connection with the universe. 
And we also see a bird in the tree, and birds with their flight represent freedom. And with this card, I like to think about those times where you are out in nature, far, far away from the city in any light pollution, and you look up at the sky, and you see the Milky Way, and you see all those stars. And it's such an awe-inspiring sight to see, isn't it? And it makes you feel very small, but also very in awe with the fact that you're a part of it. It's a very humbling and wondering and awe-inspiring experience. And so the star card speaks to this sort of channel opening between yourself and the universe, a full opening of the spiritual channel where your soul integrates into the universe as a whole. And you wouldn't be able to achieve this if you had stayed in the stuckness. So this is the spiritual growth payoff of acknowledging the stuckness in the devil card and going through the collapse of the tower. So in the journey, this is sort of the calm after the storm. So after the fool goes through this divorce where all the structures that he had come to rely on have collapsed. He finds this new calmness and openness. And the fact that this figure on the card is naked really is different from the nudity that we see in the devil card where they have chains around their necks. That nakedness speaks to the addiction that can come with things like sexuality, whereas this nakedness is a true freedom and openness. So if you pull the star card in a reading, this is representing sort of this opening of the spiritual channel, this connection to and awareness of the fabric of the universe. And I like to think of the Carl Sagan quote where he says, we are made of star stuff, right? Our bodies are made of the same things that the stars are made of. And it's this beautiful idea that we too are part of the fabric of the universe that god or whatever way you want to conceive of the greater force of the universe is not separate from us we are as much a part of it as the stars are so going from the lovely star card into the moon card is a moment of trial and this is where we see a contradiction or a reaction against the previous card. And this is one of few cards where we don't see any human figures, right? So we look at this card and we see some dogs, we see a crab, we see the moon, but there's no human, which is rare in these major arcana cards. The only other place we've seen that was the Wheel of Fortune, which introduced us to this idea that there are forces in the universe that we cannot control. And the lack of a human in the moon card introduces us to the idea of illusion in this card. The moon is an archetype of illusion. So it's not actually a producer of light like the sun is, but it's a reflector. So when we look up at a bright full moon in the sky, it's not the same thing as having light shining down on us directly from the sun. There's an illusion. There's kind of a smoke and mirrors scenario happening. And the moon that we see in this card is between two towers, which is just as we saw the sun setting in the death card. So it's sort of saying if you take a closer look at that sun, it might actually just be the moon. What you saw is not what you thought it was. And we also have this same blue washing across the land, which is a wave of emotion. And the dogs howling at the moon, which makes us think of like crazedness or lunacy. And a crab or some sort of lobster emerging from a body of water. And if we remember that the body of water is often a representation of the subconscious, this is some nasty little memory or idea emerging from our subconscious. So what this card represents is 
illusion or this sort of crazedness or lunacy that we can have. Not seeing things for what they are. And it's very different from the star card. In the star card, you look up at the universe and you feel like you're a part of it. In the moon card, you look up at the universe and you feel afraid. So in the in the course of the fool's journey, this is the beginning of the death sequence. And this is where the fool is told that he's going to die. Maybe he is diagnosed with a terminal illness, or otherwise facing some sort of imminent death. And this puts all of this to a test, right? Because death is the true unknown. Everything else, we kind of at least know life will go on. So if you get divorced, or if you lose a loved one, or if your life changes in some big, significant way, you at least have the comfort of knowing that the knowable, the life, will continue. But when facing your own death, it's the first time that you can't rely on the comfort of what is known. So this is where fear truly crops up, and that's why the moon card represents this moment. It's this illusion of thinking that you had a grasp on what part you play in the universe, but that all coming into question again when you're told that you will die. So if you pull this card, it means often things like illusion or fear, madness or crazedness, and it's urging you to look wider and deeper and to understand the innate illusion of everything. Everything that we see, even our bodies and our brains, everything we know about life is an illusion because life is temporary. And the only thing that's permanent is the greater fabric of the universe, but we're still a part of that. So the moon card is urging you to, to widen the scope and to see these things rather than fear the illusion. And when we come to terms with that, this brings us to card 19, which is the sun. And again, we have a strong reaction against the moon card. And when you look at this card, you see the sun shining brightly in the sky. And if you compare it to the moon, it's a more direct type of light. So on the moon card, we have this face looking down on the sun. It's looking right at us. In the moon, we have these little rays poking out. In the sun, they're waving and filling the entire sky. So where the moon represents illusion, the sun represents pure truth. We also see a baby riding on a horse, and the baby is naked, right? Which represents, again, this comfort, this nakedness, this unity with the universe that we saw on the star card. But it's also represented in a child here, which is sort of an innocence. And the child is on a horse waving a banner, which makes us think of victory. And the child also has open arms, pure, ready-to-embrace sort of posture. And behind the child, we see this stone wall, right? This airy, intellectual energy of a stone wall. But these sunflowers have grown higher than the wall. So that is sort of this overcoming of the illusion. The intellect is what drives us to fear something like death, something unknown, because we can't really conceive of it with our earthly minds. And while it's the job of the intellect to try to understand everything, philosophy cannot explain death. So in the sun card, 
the sunflowers tell us that we've finally overcome this illusion, and we've accepted that we cannot explain or understand it, but we can face it and trust it. So what happens is spirituality outgrows intellectuality, and spirituality offers us this deep trust in that which is beyond our human lives. So in The Fool's Journey, this is sort of the return to innocence at the end of life. And a lot of times very old or terminally ill people, if they truly accept their imminent death, will have this sort of childlike joy and wonder at the world even if they've been sort of stiff or cold people in life. So this is sort of the Ebenezer Scrooge situation, right? Where he's been this person who's very stuck on the earthly successes of his life, while at the same time being rather spiritually devoid. But as soon as he sees beyond himself, he sheds all that and comes into a sort of pure joy. So in a tarot reading, this represents a return to innocence, a pure childlike joy rooted in a trust of the universe and that we cannot understand. You can expect this card means happiness or enlightenment. And when you look at that word, right, enlightenment, it has the word light in it. And one way to think of enlightenment is as this flooding of light spiritual light that comes in and fills the dark crevices that your earthly intellect cannot access. And the sun is the source of light. It can mean appreciation or joyful mindfulness. So the sun card represents about as enlightened as you can be still being a physical earthly human. But there's still more of the journey to go as we cross over to the other side and out of our human lives. And that's what happens in card 20, Judgment. And I consider this card, 20, Judgment, to be the true death card, but it's an enlightened death without fear or resistance. So whereas the death card represents approximation to death, or reckoning with or grappling with the idea of death, the judgment card represents the true moment of death once you've come to terms with the temporality of life. So on this card, we see bodies standing up in graves, and we see men, women, children, and other people in the background. And this shows us that death unites humanity. So all else is trivial because we don't really know what happens beyond our human lives, but it's something that we all are connected by. Every one of us will die. We see the trumpeting angel in the sky, and this is the call of God or the universe for us to cross over and see what we cannot see in our earthly bodies. The sky is blue, so we know this is joyous. And then we have these mountains in the background, which means that there is some knowledge to be obtained here. So we're moving past our earthly knowledge and into the type of knowledge that only the enlightenment that comes with death can bring. So in the journey, this represents the moment in which the fool dies. But he dies bringing the joy of the sun card into that moment and the total acceptance and lack of fear about what's going to happen next. He brings all that he's learned into that moment of death and he trusts the universe completely. And this is how you'd preferably like to die, right? No fear, total trust, and embracing, as we see in the figures of this card, of this moment, of this crossing over. You're ready and curious and open to what's going to happen. So in a tarot card reading, again, this isn't going to be a prediction of death, and if it is, then it's a very beautiful one. But instead, I would read it as sort of a calling, right? A moment of truth acting without fear but with trust 
and the card is urging you to follow that trumpet. So if you're kind of considering doing something and you're not sure whether or not you should, and you pull the judgment card, it's saying go for it. This is a calling, and you can't understand right now why you're being called to do this, because you don't know what's on the other side, but you have to follow this calling. And this brings us to the final card of the Major Arcana, which is the world. And I'd like to say briefly that I almost never draw this card, which is pretty interesting, because it's such a powerful card. It seems that when you draw it in a tarot reading over some earthly situation that you're facing, that it almost trivializes the card. So I find it just sort of oddly fitting that it hardly ever comes up in tarot readings. Now I'll remind you that this card is the integration of the male and female energy, the high priestess and magician, masculine and feminine energy. And this is something we explored pretty in-depth in episode two, and this is where true integration has been obtained. We can also see it in the number of the card, right? 21 is two and one. So one is the magician, two is the high priestess, and we see them merging in this card, even in the number. So in the center of this card, we have this floating figure. And as I mentioned when I first introduced the balance of feminine and masculine in this card, in classic decks, this figure is depicted as intersexed and having a penis, which again, we're embodying both the male and female in this card. But this figure is floating, right? So the fool is ascending beyond the earthly being. There's no gravity. There's no earthly rules applying to this person. And we have this wreath surrounding the fool. Wreaths often represent victory, right? So we have this moment of achievement and victory. But the wreath also looks like zero, right? And zero is the number that represents God or the universe. So it's sort of like God or the universe is acknowledging that you have come the full way and you have accomplished everything that you can in this life. We see the four fixed signs of the zodiac around the corners of the card, which reminds us of the Wheel of Fortune, but we no longer have them studying books as we did in the Wheel of Fortune. And that's because they've learned everything that they need to learn, right? So they're no longer in a learning phase. Everything has been integrated. And you'll notice that the eagle is in a white cloud, unlike the gray clouds of the other figures. And this is because the eagle, which is the highest level of the Scorpio is also a symbol of spiritual ascendance, which is what's happening in this card. The figure of the fool is floating out of the earthly life and ascending into a spiritual existence. So in the course of the fool's journey, this is the end of our human life, and this is the time where we cross over into the unknown. But the fool has attained enlightenment. And when the fool is absorbed back into the energetic fabric of the universe and into this place that as humans we can no longer follow the fool, we can't really understand what's going to happen, but we know that, that we can trust it. In a sense, the fool is becoming God because the fool is being absorbed back into the fabric of the universe, which in itself is our concept of God within the tarot. So after death, and especially an enlightened death, we just become 
the universe ourselves. And this is not unlike the concept of enlightenment in Buddhist philosophy. Now, if you do draw the world card in a tarot reading, which I mentioned, at least in my experience, isn't a very common thing, you can see it as a major achievement or attainment. The world card speaks to accomplishment and achievement. It's a real coronation or culmination moment. But it also comes with a perfect understanding or enlightenment. So it's a card of clarity as well. So in other words, drawing the world card in a tarot reading is this perfect blend of achievement, enlightenment, and clarity. It's really a capstone moment in the narrative. It cannot be exceeded or improved upon. question to ask after exploring the fool's journey is what purpose does this journey serve to those of us who are studying tarot? And I think there are a few ways to answer this question. The first is that the fool's journey provides us with a number of archetypes. An archetype is sort of a major symbol that we use to make sense of the world. Carl Jung, the renowned psychologist, was very interested in archetypes, and he talked about how they fit into the collective unconscious and fed into these ideas that we all have and inherit from our culture that determine how we think, act, and react to things. A good example in the tarot of this comes in the Empress and Emperor cards, which represent the archetypal mother and father in the tarot. We associate the Empress card with nurturing, and we associate the Emperor card with disciplining. So archetypally, the mother is the nurturer and the father is the disciplinarian. And we can see in our culture how these archetypes feed into our everyday experiences. If a mother is a disciplinarian and a father is a nurturer, this is seen as sort of some kind of exception, and people find it very interesting or upsetting or exciting, depending on their stance about traditional values. And this also feeds into the roles that society expect men and women to play out. Women are expected to be nurturing, and more gentle, whereas men are expected to be powerful and in charge. And you need to look no further than the 2016 presidential election to see how fascinated and stuck on these roles our culture is. That election can be read not only as a battle between a man and a woman, but also as a battle between those that accept and those that reject the archetypal roles that men and women are expected to play. Now, a lot can be said about the archetypes that you see in the major arcana cards of the tarot. And of course, I've said quite a bit over the last three episodes. If you're interested in learning more or going more in depth with this, a great resource is a podcast called the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. 
It's created by two women named Cindera Quackenbush and Julianne Javot, and in each episode, they pick a particular major arcana tarot card and explore the ways that the archetype of this card play out in our culture and our ideas and the way we think about the world. So if you have an interest in the archetypes of the major arcana, I would recommend checking out that podcast. Again, it's called the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. And I've put a link in the show notes. Now, most of us are interested in using the tarot as a tool to help us through life. And the archetypes in the major arcana cards are a resource for that. It's unlikely that anyone's life will actually play out exactly like the fool's journey. But the nature of archetypes is that they give us a sort of template to understand the phases of our lives, which are in some ways universal. You can think of a single card and how it relates to a particular situation you're going through or a particular phase in your life that you are in, but I also think that the major arcana urges us to zoom out and to look at the big picture, to expand the scope with which we look at the situations we are in. And for this reason, I think it's helpful to think of the major arcana as being a series of overlapping three-card sequences similar to the past-present-future spread that we talked about in a previous episode. I hinted at this when I talked about the, the divorce sequence with the devil, tower, and star cards. And in that sequence, the devil represents the pre-divorce time where the people involved in the relationship are stuck in toxic patterns and don't really know how to get out of it. Of course, they can choose to end the relationship at any time, but they're chained by their own reliance on the relationship. And they're also afraid of what the tower will bring, that collapse of the things that they've come to rely on. But if you're in a sort of devil situation fearing the tower, the star card on the other side of the tower offers some motivation and solace for what you are going through. If you know that you will ultimately get to a calmer, more peaceful, and more open place, you're more likely to endure the trauma of the tower card, the trauma of that collapse, with some sense of a light at the other end of the tunnel. So anytime you draw a major arcana card, whether it's positive or negative, I urge you to think about the card that comes before and the card that comes after it as well. And this will give you an idea of sort of where you are in the arc of the narrative. So there's some therapeutic value to using the major arcana cards in this way. And whether you choose to draw cards at random or select cards to sort of meditate on and focus on while you're going through something, the archetypes presented in these cards can help us make sense of our lives. The major arcana cards are urging us to zoom out and see the big picture, which is a very useful tool when you're feeling very stuck in the moment. In our next episode, we'll start talking about the minor arcana cards and how those ask us to zoom in.
Rootlock Radio is written and produced by me, Weston. Music for today's show was provided by Shenandoah Davis and Jeray. You can find both of their information in the show notes. You can also find a link to the Rootlock Tarot website, where you'll find notes about each of the cards that we discussed in today's episode, as well as previous episodes. And if you'd like to reach me, send me an email at rootlocktarot at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for Rootlock Radio.